0: After church, I'm cool with that. We love it. But uh, we're in part three of a four-part series called Tomorrow Today. Remember, this series is all about how God uses the decisions, commitments, promises that we make today to shape and form the person we become tomorrow. It's called the Law of the Harvest. A couple of weeks ago, we said that Galatians chapter six: you plant what you, or you pick what you plant. In other words, you reap what you sow. Uh, the point of this series, remember, is to say what you do now, the promises you make now, the decisions you make, they have an impact on who you become tomorrow in another season, maybe next year or maybe in 10 years. So we want you to be thinking, please consider what are some of the decisions that you're going to be intentional about making, some of the commitments that that you hope to honor, not just for maybe a season, but for the rest of your life and to see how God takes those and shapes those and form those to, be, to turn you into a follower of him, a follower that looks and loves more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. We're gonna invite you to share some of those and then in kind of a unique, creative way, we're gonna serve you and to help you honor those commitments over the next season, but you'll have to come back next week uh, to check out how we do that a little bit more. So I just, I want you to know, that the decisions, commitments you make, they have an impact. For better or for worse, they have an impact. Maybe after last week, you made a commitment or you made a decision. Uh, knowing that your, your work is a partnership with God to bring heaven here, last week, remember, maybe you made a decision to say, you know, I'm gonna head into the work week um, w- with a new and, and refreshed mind, a new refreshed mindset, an attitude. B- because we know that uh, uh, shoddy work uh, with a bad attitude dishonors God. But the alternative is also true that quality work with a positive attitude, it, it honors God. So I'm gonna bring this new, refresh attitude to tomorrow. Or maybe you made a commitment in hearing some of those uh, fruit of the sinful nature and fruit of the spirit, the list that we had on there. Maybe you made a commitment, a decision to say, you know what, I'm gonna choose love today. I'm gonna choose to love my spouse not only when it's easy in years one and two, I'm gonna choose to love my spouse when it gets extraordinarily difficult in years six, seven, and eight. I'm gonna wake up tomorrow morning and every morning after that and I'm gonna choose to love him or choose to love her. And you're just gonna wait and you're gonna see what God grows that decision, that commitment into over a whole season of maybe 10, 20, or 30 years. That's what's at stake. But the alternative is also true because if we don't choose, someone else is gonna choose for us. And, and some, of those, some of those default behaviors that we do as maybe like just, just a relief stress for the right now after, after a bad day or a bad week, maybe we'll just default into some behaviors that after a little while aren't just gonna be one off like behaviors anymore, one thing and it's gonna start to become a habit. And then the habit as we heard during the worship set earlier, the habit starts to become an addiction at some point. And so whatever we're choosing, We're not choosing. Whatever we're doing now, we're not doing now, it has an impact what we do today on tomorrow, on the next season. So choose wisely. You know what's at stake. Okay, we're going to jump into it today, and and we're going to talk, just want to let you know we're talking about generosity. We're going to go to a passage of the Bible that talks about the generous life before us, and I just want to give a couple caveats. Um, The the first one that I want to say is that we're talking about finances here, because this is what the Bible uses, what Paul in 2 Corinthians uses to discuss, like, what the generous life and the generous heart is all about, but we don't want to limit it to just, like, a money thing. This has not just a money thing. Sometimes people come up and they ask me, you know, like, especially if you're know, not really going to church or like following God or things like that and kind of skeptical of the whole deal. So people come up to me and they're like, yeah, I don't know, I would go to church, except for I just I feel like they're just after my money. Okay, it's kind of a snarky thing to say. So I like to respond with like snarkiness. I can't believe anybody comes here. But I like, I say, yeah, you know what? Um, I'm sorry for that impression because God isn't just after your money. Like, and that's the tip of the iceberg. He's after so much more than that. I mean, he isn't just after your, your money. He's after your time. He's after your talent. And he's after your treasure. And, and there's three, and they all start with the same letter, so you know it's true. I mean, it's, it's like, at, he's, in fact, he doesn't just want your time, t- talent, and treasure now in this life. He's actually looking for you in an eternity, like forever, infinity, and beyond, right? Like, that's, that's what God is ultimately after, And so, this is just a temporary thing, blip on the radar. But we got to get this right because it has an implication on everything that happens tomorrow. Okay, so we're talking about generosity. And and to get at that, I want to introduce you to something that. Uh, I had introduced to me as a kid. Maybe you did too, especially if, like me, you were just like terrible with managing your allowance or managing whatever money that you maybe got when you were cutting the grass. Uh, When you know you you got a few bucks and you're out shopping at a grocery store with your dad or with your mom, and of course you go over to the toy section, you start looking at like all of the plastic stuff that's totally going to last more than a week, and you're like, "This is it. This is what's going to fulfill me and make me happy." It sounds silly when you talk about kids, but like we do the same thing anyway, and you're. you're you're walking down that aisle you see like the thing and it's like I have to have this and you go up to your dad you go up to your mom as a kid right and and you go like please you know can I get it and the question the question of course is do you have enough money and you think for a second and you say I do I do the question right is do you want to choose that with your money I do absolutely. Okay, so I don't have it on me because it's in a jar at home. So like you buy it and I'll pay you back. Okay? So I get the toy and I go home and I look into the jar and I'm like, I've made a huge mistake. Uh, and, and now I'm the only nine-year-old on a line of credit in the neighborhood trying to work that off. It's like I realized that. So maybe some of you got on this plan, right, where there's three <coughs> jars And every time you got money, an allowance or maybe cutting the grass, whatever it is, and after every jar, you you got one that said save for later, one that said spend right now, usually for me or any time coming up, and another one that said share, that goes to someone outside of me. And you got three jars, and then every time you came into any amount of money, whether it's just a little bit of an allowance, or maybe some lawn cutting money, or the windfall that is known as a kid's birthday, and the money goes and some it's broken, and some of it is put into the spend, some into the save, and some into the chair. Now, chances are you don't have a problem with the spend, like you don't have a problem, let me rephrase, emptying the spend jar. That one comes rather easily to most of us. If it doesn't come rather easily to you, chances are it comes naturally to the person you rode here with. Just talk to her or him. I can see you elbowing each other, by the way. It's not like that much of a gap. I'm making mental, just kidding. Spend jar. The other one is the save jar. In in this one, it might come naturally. It might not come naturally. Maybe this one will help. Somebody told me along the way. The save jar is really nothing but a spend jar on future me, which I love. And right now, some of you are, like, writing that down as the Sunday takeaway. Like, saving is spending on future me. I love future me. Tomorrow, today. I get it. No. No, no. Friends. God in the Bible has a lot to say about the spend jar and the save jar. To just rest assured, there's a ton in there. But the passage that we're going to look to today isn't about those two. It's about this one. It's about the share jar. Because Paul wants us to know something. He's going to give us a few spiritual truths about this jar, about filling this jar, about having a plan for this jar. He's going to tell us about the attitude we have to take towards this jar. And what we're going to see is that this jar, is that the passage that God has in store for us, this jar has the potential to change the world, but it also has the potential to start changing the world by changing us first. So we're going to go to the passage in just a minute. So I invite you, there's Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you. The words are also going to be on the screen behind me. By the way, if you don't have a Bible at home, or if you like ours better, we give those away every week, and we love that, so go ahead and take it with you. But I want to introduce you to the passage. We're going to drop in, I'm like halfway through, a letter that Paul wrote to a church, and I just, I want us to get on the same page with some of the context, some of what's happening around this, before we just go ahead and read the letter. So two names coming at you, names of cities. The first one is Jerusalem, and the other one is Corinth. Jerusalem is a church in, you know, obviously modern day Israel. It's a lot of people can find that on a map without too much trouble. But Jerusalem, keep in mind, is the epicenter of the Jesus movement. I mean, this is where Jesus did a ton of ministry. This is where Jesus died. This is where Jesus rose again from the dead after he called his shot, right? And so when you do that, when you predict your death and resurrection and then like successfully pull it off, people will follow you (laughs) like they did Jesus. And so he started gathering up this massive group of followers. They they didn't know what to call them at first. They just called them like little Christs or translated Christians. They just followers of Jesus, Christians. So there were this group of people. Jerusalem, by the way, is like 99% Jewish at the time. And so almost all of the Jesus followers in Jerusalem were were Jewish men and women families that like siphoned off the temple and Jewish practices and they sort of like quasi-blended into like this Jesus movement thing because they believe he's the Messiah, he's the one that did all these things. They're putting their hope and ultimately their lives and their eternities in his hands. And you can imagine (laughs) the Jewish leaders did not love this at all and so they started pushing back on it particularly as we get to this time later on in the first century when the Jesus movement is really starting to gain some momentum some red hot movement behind it now it's not just not just the Jewish leaders that didn't love this Jesus movement that was happening in their midst but it's also the Roman authorities that are over Jerusalem. The Roman authorities who had like this, this whole pantheon of gods, right? They had I mean, Apollo and Jupiter and just Venus, so many of these gods. And they looked at these Jesus followers and they said, wait a second, you don't believe in any of our gods. You don't believe in our entire pantheon. You won't honor them, you won't sacrifice to them. You believe in just this, this one God? And, and on top of that, I mean, keep in mind, this is crazy stuff here, but, but when you get together and, like, and worship, not only do you reject all of our gods, which we find somewhat offensive, but, but you, you call each other, like, like brother and sister, and like, like some of you guys are married, and then they get together and like a weekly or maybe monthly or something, like you get together and you do this communion thing, and you say that you drink blood and eat, flesh. I mean, just just you could understand the PR disaster that comes out of the Jesus movement in Jerusalem, okay? So the Jewish leaders and the Roman leaders are now on the same side, on the same team, squeezing the Jesus followers on both sides. The reason why I say this is it became rather difficult to be a Jesus follower economically, I mean, besides the outright persecution, there's also the fact that 99% of the inhabitants of the city just will not employ you. They don't want to hire you. They don't want to shop at your stores. They don't want to look after you at all. In fact, you, you are to them the enemy because of what you're doing and because of what you're about. And you have to choose between, between having enough to eat and your faith. Okay, that's what's going on in Jerusalem. How do we follow God when we don't have enough? Okay, Paul has left Jerusalem and he started this church planting movement across uh, the Roman Empire. Paul, Barnabas, Mark, Luke, I mean, there's several of them. And they're starting these pockets of these Jesus movements. In one of the cities, modern day uh, Greece, is a city named Corinth. And in the city of Corinth, Corinth. I mean, this is not a have nots situation. Uh, Corinth, by the way, is a, is a Roman made city. It burned down previously, and they were very intentional as a strategic location, so they had it rebuilt. There's this big continent of Greece, and then it funnels down into a four mile wide land bridge before it opens up into what they call Macedonia, this, this other big kind of subcontinent type thing and so ships traveling through had an option to pay a huge fee to have their uh, ship unloaded the cargo uh, carted across 4 miles reloaded on another ship and then they're on their way or they could they could skip that and like venture the hundreds mile long trip around Macedonia through some seriously sketchy water. Uh, We brought a picture. This is Daniel Jew. He's on the preaching team, an intern here. He took this picture after being in Greece uh, this past month, and uh, we can see this is a canal that they dug on this four-mile-wide stretch that started shortly after this letter was written. You can see it's a big ditch, right? It took an incredible amount of work, but that's just how valuable it was. This wasn't quite there yet. So the city just became extremely profitable because of its location. They have a tremendous amount of wealth at their disposal. Here's where it gets interesting. The Christians, Living in Corinth, where we get Corinthians, a couple books of the Bible from, the Christians in Corinthians were not asking, how do we follow God when we don't have enough? The Corinthians are asking, how do we follow God when we have more than enough? It isn't how do we follow God in want, it's how do we follow God in plenty, in abundance? I I just think strategically where we're located today, in the wealthiest nation in the history of humankind, maybe there's some truth that we can like, glean from what God has in store for the church in Corinth. Now, this is what I think is awesome, whether you are like uh, completely into this Jesus thing, church, all this stuff, or whether, maybe you're just here because somebody invited you and they promised lunch afterwards. But whatever the deal is, this is what I think is cool. What we're just about to read is one of the first, by all means that I could check out at least, this is the first time uh, this first historical account of one group, Corinth, hosting a fundraiser to j- simply to alleviate the suffering of another group of people, completely of their own will. There isn't a government entity. There isn't pressure involved. There's just, hey. This group in Jerusalem is suffering badly. And you know, they're asking basic questions about, are we going to have enough to eat today? And, and in Corinth, you have plenty. So what we're dropping out is this fundraising campaign in Corinth to feed this church in Jerusalem. I just, it's the first time in history that's ever happened. I think that's pretty awesome. And, and Paul, he's writing this letter ahead. and He's going, uh, we're coming through Corinth, and uh, I want to collect a check while I'm there. Because, you know, you wouldn't have this faith if it wasn't for these people in Jerusalem, right? I mean, they, they're the epicenter. They're the ones, like, tending to this flame, and they are falling on some seriously hard times. I don't, want, I don't want to get together and be like, now, friends, we all know about the suffering in Jerusalem. That's my preacher. I did what I could. Uh, he's like, I don't want to kick off a capital campaign. I just want to collect the bucket, and I want to move, move on. And I I definitely don't want guilt checks to be written that are simply paying me off, so I'm not asking anymore. He's just have it ready. And he goes, put some aside every single week from now until I get there so that I can keep moving through and I can get the money and the bread to the people who need it most. And he goes, when you give, when you put funds into this jar, there's a few things that I want you to keep in mind. And that, friends, is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're going to pick it up here in verse verse 6. Okay. He starts off and he goes, remember this. Now, if I could ask you to remember this, remember this. (laughs) Just, like, tuck that one away. Because I think what Paul knows is this reality... (laughs) is so easily forgotten, whatever comes next, it is so, easily, it's so easy to slip into a place where we completely forget, it. he doesn't want that for us, he goes, "Day, remember this. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. What do we read? we got this letter to the Corinthians, and I wanted you to hear the whole thing, because this, this is Paul's message. But we're going to break it down line by line, and it starts off, the first one, remember this, whoever sows sparingly, this should sound familiar if you are here a couple weeks ago, um, will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. The first line that we have is about the marks of this jar. We made these all adverbs for everybody. You give generously. Uh, first point, uh, uh, he's, he's referencing this law of the harvest principle that we picked up before. Uh, remember the law, you pick what you plant. If you uh, plant tomatoes, you're going to pick tomatoes. If, if you sow zucchinis, uh, you'll reap zucchini, right? Now he's transitioning because he's not just talking about, hey, you know what? If you plant uh, envy, strife, discord, you're gonna pick envy, strife, discord. Now he deepens it and he says, it isn't just a what, but it's also a how much principle, which I think is pretty cool. And he, he like makes this to say, you know, you've got the what thing down. But did you also know there's a how much? to say? If you plant or if you sow just a little tomato seeds, you're, you're just going to get a few tomatoes to reap, to eat. If you plant just a couple zucchini seeds, you're going to pick, Well, that one doesn't work because you'll still get a ton of zucchinis. But, like, some of you have tried. Uh, My office is open. Go ahead. No, no. If you plant, his point, if you plant just a little strife, a little envy, a little faction, a little discord, you will reap just a little strife, faction, envy, discord. Same uh, is also true. If you plant just a tiny amount of joy, just a tiny. There's also a how much principle that says you will reap just a tiny amount of joy. And so he wants to say, don't don't short God, but don't short you either. And they're almost one and the same at this point. Whoever sows sparingly, reaps sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. It's, It's a how much factor. Which I think is important. I think it's important because we ask how much, like all the time. In fact, that's a question I want to ask all the time personally. That's the question that I get when it comes to this more than probably any other question, almost. It's like, hey, you, you've, you've talked about this jar, the potential in this jar. And I just, I want to know, how, how much, how much is enough? What, what's generous and this is where it gets kind of interesting because if you've read a bunch of the Bible, you might remember that the Old Testament talks about um, this all the time. In fact, in, in the Bible, how much is enough? It has a, a specific number behind it because it's like they want it to be so abundantly clear as to what this is all about. They say, listen, anybody who's ever asking how much is enough, the number behind it, which is just simply 10. Every time you get $10, You divide it up, and these two, it's like, you know, nine goes in these somehow, and one goes in here. Like, it's simple as that. One dollar out of every ten, ten dollars out of every hundred. Like, this is not rocket science, right? Uh, How much is enough? It just has a number behind it, uh, ten. And they simply called it tenthing, because they're not creative either. And so, it's like, it's 10thing, which turns into tithing, where we get our word from. It's tenthing. It's how much is enough. The answer is 10. Now, interestingly enough, in the New Testament, nobody ever talks about that. Now, this is not in the Bible. It's really not anywhere else in the Bible. Dangerous thing for me to go down. But I just have this theory that like everybody gathered around. I'm talking all the New Testament authors. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Jesus. He didn't like author the New Testament, but he was a prominent figure in there. Um, uh, Timothy, Paul, James. I think John. I think everybody got together, Peter. Um, and, they, and they all decide, let's not talk about it. Let's not mention that thing. We're really going to mess with everybody here. Write some questions. Because it's so unbelievably strange that nobody ever referenced it. I mean, it was like, it was a fixture of the way that they did life. And then all of a sudden, it like just nobody mentions it anymore? I think the answer to that question points to the very, very heart of God and, and at least what this jar is all about. And I'll tell you this. Jesus came, and we started preaching to people, when he started sharing the message with people, he, he came and he said, I have not come to do away with anything. But no, 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 just forget about that because you're going to misunderstand. Gonna, I haven't come to do away with anything. He said, I've come to, to fulfill it. Like, I've come to be the fulfillment of all this stuff. Let me, and he goes, let me give you an example. It's in the same Sermon on the Mount in the beginning of Matthew. He goes, let me give you an example. I'm paraphrasing. Uh, murder. Murder. It's one of the Ten Commandments. It's one of the big commandments, if you ask me. Like, whoa, we may not know all of them, but we definitely know murder. And Jesus says, yeah, 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 uh, murder. Except for that's just the tip of the iceberg. He goes, I say don't murder, but but really, and Jesus goes on, he goes, there's this whole mass underneath what you can see that pops up over the ground. There's this, there's this whole mass that says Uh, all of the things that like lead you up to murder, stay away from. So if you hate your brother, I mean, if you murder him in your heart, like that is also covered in that commandment. Jesus says, listen, it's not even the actions kind of thing themselves, but the inverse, the church, by the way, has always understood the opposite, the inverse of the commandments to also be true. So for thousands of years, Christians the Church has always held the position that the inverse of do not murder is also true, which is to say, preserve life. Preserve life wherever you may find it. The human life is sacred all over the world. And it doesn't matter if it's right here or myths or somewhere happening, life is sacred. Preserve it. That's included, according to Jesus, in the the church's understanding of Jesus' teachings. It's included under the command of do not murder. And you can go right down the list and you can do that with all of them. And so when Jesus picks up this practice of generosity, of sharing, and he probably is the one who got everybody together. I don't know, but I'm guessing. He gets everybody together and says, don't use the word tithing anymore don't talk about it because every time someone asks the question how much is generous enough I want them to pause and think about that for just a minute I want them to do a heart check and to just consider not Consider the budget or the bills to pay, or just consider it all. Consider God, consider God's role in the world. I just want a small heart check every time someone asks, How much is enough? And I'll tell you what just oh, hit me this week. I was reading about this. There's this one author who writes like, tons of commentaries and books and stuff. D.A. Carson, uh, highly recommend. But he, he's, a, he's also a pastor. Um, and he said, he said you know what I found? And I'm guilty of this, right? Because I went there asking that question. <laughs> and he said, you know I found? That every time we ask the question, how much is enough? The subtext of the question that we're really asking is what's the minimum amount that I can get away with it's not make God angry with me or upset with me or disappointed with me. How much is enough? What's that minimum line? And I want to hit just that and not an inch more, not an hour more, not a talent level more. I just want to hit the basement and nothing else. And I think Paul's words come flowing back and hit us hard And he says, you pick what you plant. Not only what, but also how much. Listen, if it's stingy and sparingly, the harvest will be stingy and sparingly. If it's generous, the harvest will be generous. It's not like you're just, it's not like you're shorting God. He doesn't need it, mind you. It's not just like you're shorting God. There's also this point, according to Paul right here, it's like you're also shorting yourself. Not in like a windfall investment scheme or not, nothing like that. What I'm saying is, what, what I'm saying is, it, you're shorting yourself because you're gonna, you're gonna miss out on seeing what God is up to in your life, in my life, and in our world together, because we go stingy on this one thing and we miss out completely on this huge thing that God is doing. Especially because, as we'll see in just a minute, some of the uh, some of the seeds that we plant might take. 50 years to see what God grows them into? And what if we don't have 50 years to see what God does with that? So it seems to me you, you might need to make a decision rather quickly, which is exactly what Paul comes up with next in the next line. And he says, verse 7, hey, by the way, each of you should give what you have, let me help, decided, thanks both of you, in your heart to give. Give what you have decided in your heart to give. We've got adverbs around here, this jar marked by uh, giving generously. And the next one, decidedly. Uh, Make a decision. You know what? (laughs) Make a decision because somebody else would be happy to make a decision for you. (laughs) Make a decision as to how much goes in these and how much goes in this one because I assure you, friends, that there is a marketing team gathering around somewhere in the globe right now who would be happy to decide this on your behalf. Make a decision because you are gonna bump into a salesperson this week and it's not his or her fault at all. They have a quality product or service that they would like to lend you. But friends, they would love to make a decision for you. And Paul simply said, up front, make a decision. Make a decision because you've got a broke cousin sleeping in your couch in the basement who would love to make a decision for you about how your financial resources, how your time resources, how your talent resources get divvied up. Make make a decision because like we just said, make a decision because this is how we get to see God move. In so many awesome ways, and we might just miss it if we wait too long to make a decision um, this is This is getting close to home, which is pretty awesome, but uh, seven years ago, Encounter Church was a uh, few people, this, no name, no building, no weekly worship. Encounter Church seven years ago was like an idea of a few people gathered around um, a dining room table. And I still remember just talking about this like church and like, what it's gonna be and it's just basic stuff. And there was, there was a decision made that day. There was a decision that said, hey, you know what? There may only be a few of us around the table right now, but let's just, let's just decide today that all of our tomorrows, every dollar that comes in, we'll spend 90 or save some and we'll, and we'll share 10 cents. That every hundred dollars in ten dollars is going to put into a share jar and we're going to empty it periodically. Let's just make that call. And seven years ago, they decided this is going to be split up between a few different things. Uh, We're going to to tenth to a few different organizations. We're going to do things like dig wells in faraway countries to provide clean drinking water for maybe people who've never had that before, save lives. We're going to buy mosquito netting to prevent the spread of malaria, especially among kids and newborns, and save lives that way. We're going to spend some, share some, right here in in Southeast Grand Rapids, partner with the pantry up the road and provide meals, food, uh, provide meals for food insecure families right here in Southeast Grand Rapids. Uh, You know what? Let's go beyond that and not just like a global thing and a local thing. Let's create new followers of Jesus through what we call just the sister church. It's Renew Church in Corvallis, Oregon. Um, Go Beavers. There's a university. I always get that wrong, but it's Okay. Renew Church in Corvallis, Oregon. We're gonna partner with these and provide resources, financial resources to where we see God moving, all right? Let's make a decision. We did. You know how much we had the opportunity to give away in that first year? It was $760. (laughs) Yeah. It wasn't enough to, to dig a well in a faraway place where I clean drinking water. It was a couple mosquito nets, um, it was a few meals to food-insecure families in Southeast Grand Rapids. It was enough to cover the goldfish budget of our sister church's children's ministry. It wasn't much. but We kept to it. We decided. And we continued. Year in and year out, we continued. I'll tell you, the next year it was more. It was in the thousands. And the year after that, it was more yet. And the year after that, it was more yet. And every year since that point, it has been more yet. Until now, it's in the tens of thousands. And I was adding up the math earlier this week, which is a dangerous thing, I know. But I was adding it up, and I was just wondering, just how much has it been over the years since we launched in 10, 10, 10, October 10, 2010, how how much have we given away and I looked it up and, and guaranteed for sure this month, February, but b- possibly even this weekend, we are going to pass over the $150,000 mark. That's, praise God. Amen. That's, that's in this community. That's wells for people to provide clean drinking water. It's tons of mosquito nets. It's tens of thousands of meals for food insecure families in Southeast Grand Rapids. It is seeing lives changed and transformed by the love and grace of Jesus Christ through our sister church, Renew, in Corvallis, Oregon. I mean, this is an incredible thing that God is up to. But it took time. It took a lot of time And sometimes, through our own dreams and following after what we believed God had in store for us, a building purchase, a building renovation, a building renovation, a building renovation, it was difficult. But we stuck by the decision generously and decidedly. And I truly believe we're just at the very, very front of the wave to see what God is up to through this community. It's an incredible thing. And we'd miss it if we didn't make that call right out of the gate. We'd have missed it entirely. It would have been incredibly difficult to do that now. And some of you personally are in the same boat to say it's so hard now. What are we going to miss out on? not today, but tomorrow, if we don't make the decision today. Never get to see it. Uh, last one, Paul says, okay, that's an awesome picture. It's shaping, it's coming into focus. But he's like, stops the momentum right there. And he's just like, draws, like, cuts it off and says, "Now I just got to make sure that, that we're doing this uh, with, with the right like, heart check along the way. Now, I, I would have rearranged these things, okay? I would have been like generously like right, right up front and I made this one in the middle because it lags up and I would have put like that decided thing and like this is what God is up to. I would have put that at the end and like pad underneath. It would have been sweet. But no, Paul, God, listening, he goes, no, no, no. The very last thing, just make sure that there's this heart check that when you give, it's a certain posture that you take and this is what he said, give, not not reluctantly or under compulsion. And he says, for God loves a cheerful giver. Cheerful giving. I can just imagine a couple, because I've been there, I can just imagine a couple gathering around and they're looking on a Saturday night at the the kids' curriculum for the lesson in the morning. He gives her this look like, I don't think we have time for this. And she gives him this look back and says, I think you're right. And then we read something like, yeah, but cheerful, right? <laughs> have you considered giving generosity, a, a treasure, yeah, yeah, but talents and time, have you considered this an act of theology? I'll, I'll like, leave it to the, the preacher, you know, guy, to, to make this an act, a, a theological act, but, but no, no, consider this for just a minute, Consider the couple around the dining room table or really anybody struggling with with this, with the spend, save, share jars. Consider what it just takes to to give, not out of a a false theology of scarcity. No, no, no. But, But to give, believing that God has a generous heart, and to give that God as our Father wants to give good gifts back to us. Consider a gift of time, talent in church, not, not out of a debt or service to pay, because this is, in case you missed it somehow with, like, worship and coming to church, already, this is the dirty little secret of, of Christianity in the church. Like, give, you don't have to do anything like Jesus already did it, right? So any kind of, like, response of, like, I guess, like, twist my arm, I guess I'll show up, we might as well close the thing down right now, because that's not the God we serve. Because the God we serve has this whole reverse kind of economy that says, like, somehow an hour spent doesn't, an hour spent on this jar, it, like, doesn't take an hour from these two jars. Somehow the gift's given. They don't, like, take one over here and have, like, the zero-sum game behind it. Somehow there's there's this multiplier effect going on. And this multiplier effect, it, it, like, builds up and builds up and builds up until we get to verse A, which says, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Paul is, is picking up on the, the language of the people at the time. He's, it's this um, Hellenistic, this Greek, Greco Roman thought. Uh, it's called autarkia, is the Greek term behind it. Paul uses the term here. It was like their philosophy for contentment. The belief of Corinth, the Christians at Corinth at the time, the world, what was in the water, was that contentment is simply self sufficiency. Like, contentment is being able to step back and have utter independence. And then Paul breaks in and he goes, oh, I know, I know your way of thinking. Like, I've studied this. But you know what? God's autarkia, God's contentment, it isn't independence. Contentment is not self-sufficiency. For Paul, contentment is generosity. Having everything that you need, autarkia, that's the principle there, to abound in every good work. Like, like somehow we pour in generously, decidedly, and cheerfully. We pour into this jar again and again and again. And we fill it up, not for ourselves. That's the Greco-Roman kind of worldly view that we live in. No, it's not about that. We fill it up and God continues to multiply that and fill that again and again and again so that we abound in continual generosity. We give so that we have more and more to give, and God continues to multiply our generosity. Friends, I leave you with just uh, three adverbs about the jar. Generosity. We give. This jar is marked by giving generously, decidedly, and cheerfully. I just want to come back to that first line, though. I said, remember the, the remember that. Remember that Paul says remember that because it's gonna get tough. Because all of this is so easily forgotten. Remember that because we'll forget. He knows we'll forget. We know that God is generous. We know he knows that we'll forget. I, I just think of a, a, a high school age girl going to a Christian rock concert. Uh, She's rocking out at the concert and just before the intermission, uh, the speaker comes up and says, we know that there's a tremendous amount of suffering in the world. We all know that. I mean, throw a dart on the map. We know that there's a tremendous amount of suffering in the world, and sometimes we get lost in who to help, when to help, how to help. So the speaker at the Christian conference shows a picture of a young girl, uh, 14, 15 year old years old, puts a picture of her on the screen and say, "Here's how we help. This is a girl who who doesn't have clean drinking water, who doesn't have enough to eat today. Tomorrow she doesn't have an education to hope for or future life." ahead of her. And if you want to help, and the speaker just throws up there and he says, there's an organization called Compassion International, and you know the tagline because you've been there, you've heard it before, for a little more than a dollar a day, you save a life, change a life. You provide clean drinking water and enough food to eat and an education to hope for for tomorrow. And the girl at the time, right, is like, Yes! I can do something. I can alleviate some slice of suffering in the world. I can save a life and change a life. And so she resolves to go ahead and do this. And she goes out at intermission. She stands in the line of the long booth, and like they're registering people, and they're doing the thing, and she's so excited, thinking about the life she's going to change, the life she's going to save. And she starts adding up the math, and she goes, wait a second, $32 a month, that's almost $400 a year. And I'll tell you, the reaction inside of her I get because it's the same reaction that comes inside of me and and maybe in you too. And I don't think it's greed because I don't think that what we struggle with necessarily is is this greed generosity thing. I think that what happens inside of her and me and maybe some of you, it isn't greed and generosity, it's fear and trust. Because that girl doesn't line up there and start worrying about the 400 bucks she's going to spend this year to save a life and change a life. Because she's, she wants to get more stuff. She starts worrying because, because what if I don't have enough? What if I forget that God is a God who looks after his children? Takes care of our need so that we can continue blessing others. You've all seen the movie The Blind Side. We got a picture of Michael Orr um, and, uh, and his adoptive parents. That's uh, Sean and Leanne uh, The s- Story of Michael is that he he grew up with a mom addicted to alcohol, cocaine, and a number of other things. It's a terrible home life he grew up in one of the poorest zip codes in the country outside of memphis he experienced 11 different foster homes in nine years as a middle schooler sean and leanne tui adopt him as a wealthy family in fact uh, sean owns uh, a whole string of taco bells throughout the memphis area He's, he's successful Consequently, they go out to eat at Taco Bell <laughs> rather frequently. Uh, Michael's a big boy. He's always been a big boy. He's a linebacker in the making, right? Like he's, he can eat. The boy can eat. He gets to the front of the line at the shop that his dad owns, and he can order anything or everything on the menu, and it's covered. He knows that he recalls he would just order so much more than he actually needed to eat, than what he was hungry for. Because he had this thought like, I foraged and I scraped by my whole life. What if there's not enough? And they keep having to like bring it in and remind him that this is a whole thing, there's more than he could ever even imagine. But just as a kid, he's always ordering extra. And this one scene in the movie, as a real life happened to in the story. His mom, Leanne, goes into the refrigerator, opens it up, and there's this like eight day old like con- coagulated Mexican pizza in the refrigerator. And she looks at him and she says, Michael. And he looks back and he just goes, I forgot. I forgot. I forgot that we have more than enough. I forgot that anything I ask for, whatever I need, I'll receive in abundance to share out. I forgot. I forgot that God is trustworthy. I need not fear. I forgot. Friends, I don't think Michael is the only one. So I'll leave you with this. May we never forget. May we never forget that our Father is a God of abundance. May we never forget that. May we never forget that there is more than enough in the economy of God that it just multiplies, and more than enough to share with others, may we never forget. Ready to stand up, let's pray together. Pray to the God who provides so richly. A Gracious God in heaven may we never forget. God, reflecting on the cross, on the sacrifice, an infinite sacrifice poured out for all of us that put our hope in you, may we never forget. May we never forget that you loved us so much that you would choose to spend eternity with us and pay the price. May we never forget. May we never forget that even though the the financial markets and personal budgets just roll like sea billows and just smash up against us and cause us to fear and worry. May we never forget that you are a God who can be trusted. May we never forget. May we never forget you this week, the generous Father who provides richly for his sons and daughters. May we never forget. Amen.